There's a preacher who was closing up on his section on the book of Mark. And at the end of the section, he said to them, Now, next week, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do an assignment. And I'm going to assign you that you read Mark's gospel, the 17th chapter. And so they went home from that meeting and that church service. And the following Sunday, he said, How many of you read Mark chapter 17? And about half the congregation raised their hand. Problem was, Mark has only had 16 chapters. And he said, you need this message, because you're liars. <laughs> I don't know how long he kept that job. But anyway, the Bible speaks to us this morning about enemies. One of our enemies is sin. And today, you know, we know that birds, for instance, are enemies to insects and cats our enemies to birds. We know even too, we have enemies like COVID or like car accidents. Those are enemies to us too. Yesterday, I, a guy pulled out in front of me on Broadway and I almost basically got killed. Thank the Lord the brakes worked in the caddy. But today, we're gonna deal with an enemy that we have within inside of us. It's a cancer that we all have. The Bible talks about several things in our lives that go against us. The world, the devil, and the flesh. And inside that flesh, there's a thing called sin. Sin is a rebellion, a super inversion against God. If you want a definition of sin, just look at the letter I in the middle of sin and you will see what the problem is. It's the I. I know better than God. I want to be my own captain, my destination. I, I, I. And that's what gets us into trouble. Now, a man by the name of Carl Menninger back in 1973, who also established the Menninger Clinic up in Topeka, wrote a world astounding book called Whatever Happened to Sin? Because what has happened in our world, and he said, he projected as a prophet that what's going to happen in our world is we're going to try to eliminate sin. Psychology has come along and humanism has come along and doesn't want to believe that there is a God. And so what they did is they don't believe God. And then they say, man, it's just a blank piece of paper that's written on. And that's all that has to happen. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we are under a curse. We're lost. And we are lost in sin our selfishness. And because of that, we do things that are deviant against God's law, things that don't really work. And what happens is, for a while they work. The Bible says to us about sin, they're passing pleasures. Sin is pleasurable for a while, but sooner or later it comes back and bites you. And what Carl Menninger was saying that in our generation, we have lost the idea of sin. There are a lot of people who are going into psychiatric wards because they can't forgive themselves. They have no concept that God needs to forgive them and will help them, but they struggle with that. And instead of causing, calling sin, sin, we've given new terms for sin. We don't call it sin anymore because then that would be recognizing God. Instead, 
to the drunkard that it talks about in Proverbs, we say that they're struggling from the disease of alcoholism. We say in our world that a person who's sexually immoral is a sex addict. Or we cover it over where we say the disobedient child is not really disobedient and sinful. They have a oppositional defiant disorder. Sin. That's what it is. We see a person who's angry and has problems. And they will say, well, that's because that as a child they were abused. The Bible calls it sin. She is bitter. And she's unforgiving. And what the world said, oh, she's just depressed. Or he's a murderer. The Bible says. Sin. What we call maybe bipolar disorder and is incompetent to even take a test. And when he's a murderer and a sinner. Manager hit the nail on the head. And the Bible here tells us the same thing. The Gnostics in that time were saying that it doesn't matter what you do with your body. As long as you've got a good heart, that's all that matters. John wrote this gospel, this epistle, to counteract that false teaching in his world that day. Sin is sin. And Jesus lived this perfect life to die for our sin, to take it away and give it no longer the power it has over our lives. If we trust Christ and we apply it to our life. The Apostle John is now coming after the, these Gnostic heretics about this dualism that our sinful bodies or our tainted bodies, but our hearts are pure. And he says, that's bull. He says, it's all sin. It's rebellion against God. And that we need to stop that teaching and live differently in this world. And so he says, number one, look at the light. He says, the message is we have heard from him and announced to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all our sin. Now what a powerful passage this is. Because what John calls Jesus, calls God, is the light. And you can really superimpose the word truth in there. But one of the things about the light is that it exposes the darkness. Whenever light comes in, it chases out the darkness. And we see things for as they really are. And it exposes the truth. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, the trust in the Lord, is the beginning of all wisdom. And when we neglect that, and we don't allow the light in our lives to expose the darkness, we are losing a huge part of who we are and our life that God meant it to be. The main point is that the value of light is so incredible. It helps us to avoid danger. It positively helps us to see clearly. I remember walking in the dark when I would go to camp and out in the woods. And you couldn't see a thing. It was pitch black until you had that light on. And it showed you the things you could trip over. It showed us a rattlesnake that was over there hiding. 
It showed us where we should go and where we shouldn't step. That's the power of the light. And you see, God has no hidden agenda. Satan does. Our sinful hearts have sinful agendas. And God doesn't hide anything from us. He gives us the truth. Even doesn't even give us the small print. I remember when I was going from my heart, I had to get a, a cardioversion. And I remember my wife sitting in the chair. And she goes to me before we signed the contract, Dave, did you read this fine print? I said, no. She said, yeah, the doctor kills you. That's what it says. Oh, you think we should sign it? <laughs> yeah, you need the heart work. You see, God is that way. He exposes everything to us and shows us the truth. And that when we live in the darkness, we rob ourselves. God doesn't have any hidden agendas. It's all plain and simple. And he shows it to us. In his light, there is no darkness in him. The pathway he shows us will not disappoint us. It will bring us joy and peace and happiness eternally. And in verses 6 and 7, he gives us this practical admonition. Walk not in the darkness, but walk in the light. Because the light will take you through safely. And you can come together with that. You see... The Bible talks about sin, not because it wants us to feel bad, but it wants us to feel bad enough to see that we need the light and we're going to follow the truth rather than live in the darkness. Because what the darkness does, it blocks us. Sin blocks us from our relationship to God. Sin blocks relationships with other people. Sin blocks and jams us up. And it doesn't allow us to experience the fruit of God's love, which is the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the self-control, because we're living a lie. And we try to cover it up. How many times have we tried to cover it up? And it winds up biting us. When we try to cover it up, the first thing we're doing is we're lying to our friends. We're lying to the world. We're not being who we really are. Oh, we can come to church, smiles on our face and say, oh yeah, praise the Lord. And deep down inside, we've got a sin that we're trying to cover to let nobody see. We're hiding it. But not only do we lie to our brothers and sisters and our friends and our families, but then what we do is we lie to ourselves. This begins to rob us of our character it begins to rob us of ourselves and our integrity. And it begins to deceive ourselves and thinking that it's okay. Because we don't want to feel the pain and the sadness in our heart of us breaking. We see this with David. David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he tried so hard to cover it up. And he talks about that whole experience he said, when I did not confess my sin, he said, I felt my bones aching in Psalm, Psalm 32. I felt alienated from God. And as he went along, it got progressively worse. Because when he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he was on a roll to get her husband to come into town to sleep with her so that it would cover his infidelity. And instead... He found a general 
Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, such a wonderful man of integrity, because his men were out in the battlefield, he would not take the comfort of sleeping with his wife. And that caused David a great problem. And so the next night he tried to get him to do it again, but this time he got him really good and drunk and tried to get him into the house, and he still didn't go because of his integrity. And then David was backed up against the wall, so he did something that... Here's a man who God said beforehand, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet sin got a hold of him. And he tells his general, send Uriah out into battle. And when you give the signal, have the troops pull back and let him be by himself so that he can get killed. And it will cover my sin. And so David ordered that to Uriah and ordered that to Joab. And Uriah did and he was killed. And then (laughs) David put on the big front of being such a righteous man, marrying her because she was a widow now. And then also, (laughs) when Nathan, the prophet, eight months later, comes and confronts him about it, and he tells this little story about a lamb who only had this one little lamb, and he stole it from the owner, and that the other man was killed. David became infuriated. And then Nathan says to him, Nathan, Nathan says, David, that was you. That's what you did with Bathsheba. You see, sin is deadly and it spreads. And the more we have to cover it up, the more deeper we get into the thick of it. You see, sin will, only, will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin will carry you places you don't want to be. Sin will destroy the very things that are so beautiful to And sin creates huge interest payments from your life. And that's why John comes back to us and says, Let live in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. Because you're going to rob yourself of blessings that God wants to give you because you're blocking your relationship with God. And so John speaks to us here. And he says, let the light shine in your life. Sometimes we wonder why. Oh, my prayer is just empty. It's not. It's because we're living and allowing sin to control us. And whenever we go to face God, we can't face him. That's why it's hard. And why we don't want to read the word or why we don't want to go to church. Because it reminds us of what we're doing and we're hiding And it's hard. And the conditions are terrible. And that's why John says, look, the light will illumine and reveal it to you. Don't keep it hidden. If you want to have fellowship with God and your friends, open your heart up and let God show you what you need to change. And he will. Let his life and walk in that light so you can change morally. And it will cleanse you so that you can have good relationships. This past week, I subscribe on my phone to this thing called the Christian Post. And you know, it's amazing to me what some church leaders do and how they don't realize how sin, or they're blind to or they're walking in darkness how sinful they can be. I was reading 
about this pastor who started a new church in San Diego. And the slogan of the church was, the church of the sinners for sinners. Now that was the catch line. And the whole deal was that the pastor's wife is a porn star. And she's out there making some pretty good buck, doing her porn. And they build this as, you know, we have sinners here. Our pastors are sinners. Our wives are sinners. So you're welcome here and join us sinners. <laughs> Total antithetical to the gospel that John is telling us that frees us from sin. And, that we, and listen to his wife's quote that really ripped my heart out. She said... And, and, and let, me, let me just share this with you. They both graduated a Christian college. They both went to Christian college, and he also became a pastor. And listen what she said, what she learned. With God's help, I learned to, to separate, and this is Gnosticism, folk, separate my identity from my work of porn. And that I urge people to stop hating and judging other people and start loving people for where they are at. Well, isn't that nice? She is condoning sin. And her husband is also. And they think this is the way they're going to bring people in because of their sinfulness. We don't have to work at it. It's there. But here, they're living this facade. That John says, you're not living in the light, you're living in the darkness. And you're bringing people along in the darkness. It's terrible. And you're flaunting your sinfulness. And living in it, which the Bible says you're living in the light. And the light chases out the darkness. And we don't want to be part of that anymore if we truly love Jesus. In the Bible, they need to hear the gospel again. Because they're flaunting that sinfulness. But then Jesus, John tells us that we have this launderer. I know we all stumble and we all sin. We make stupid mistakes in our lives. And we allow sin to pull us down. We allow ourselves to get caught up into it. And what happens is we lose ourselves. John says to us here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus Christ, is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every sin that we've ever committed can be cleansed by the blood of Christ. But if we say we don't have sin, we have not sinned, we make God a liar. <laughs> and his word is not in us. And God is speaking here today through the word of God. And that needs to stop. Sin is not, shouldn't be. We, we know that we cannot be sinless. That will not happen until we die and we go to heaven and sin is no longer a part of our life. We become purified by God and we're holy. But on this earth, we're still going to sin. We've got that old sinful nature in us and we're at war with every day. But we want to sin less because we have the light in us. And we want to follow Jesus. 
And that we want Him to purify us. Because as we all know, we cannot cancel out our sin. We are going to find ourselves facing the consequences. The Bible says to us, what you sow, you're going to reap. And when we refuse to do it God's way, David, tragically, his life, he lost four sons because of his infidelity and his sinfulness. Even though God had forgiven him, he basically started this pattern in his family that cost him his family. Tragic. God had forgiven him. But there were ramifications. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're standing at a, a pool or you're standing by a, a lake and you pick up a pebble and you throw it into the water. It just doesn't splash. We start seeing ripples. And that's what it does. Those ripples continue to affect different areas of our lives. And it begins to affect all the things that are going on in our lives. And you see, this is what John is saying. Don't let it destroy your life. Don't let it destroy the people around you. God can heal it and forgive it. But don't let sin control you. Follow my way. And that Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all our sin. And what it does is it not only forgives the act that we've made. But then God promises to give us the power over that desire in our lives. As we continue to submit to the light and that we chase out the darkness from our lives. That's what God does through the blood of Christ. And that we progressively can grow beyond that sin. And that we can overcome it by the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. If we truly want to be. And that we don't have to cover it up. We don't have to live under the covering up things. And that Christ's blood and his forgiveness gives us the power to conquer it. If we trust God. You see, forgiveness is one thing. And the cleansing is another. And that power to be able to overcome and handle the sin in our lives. See, there's a connection. It just doesn't stop with doing away with the sin. It helps us do away with the desire. And keep it under control by the Holy Spirit as we grow in Him. And that we reap the abundance of God's mercy and strength in our lives. It's tragic when the world doesn't understand that. The world is confused in, in our today. They look at the church and they laugh at it. We're seeing that right now. Another news flash I got this week. That the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is a denomination of Lutherans, they claim to be evangelical, but they stepped beyond the boundaries again. They did what was displeasing in God's sight, and I'm going to say that, and if anybody asks me, this is what they did. They now have a bishop that they ordained as a transgendered person. Now, how can that be? 
If we believe that God created us as we are and that we're to be the person that he made us to be and we want to change that, how wrong is that? And yet, you see, this is the problem. that Some in the church don't believe this. He wants to cleanse us from that unrighteousness. He doesn't want us to flaunt our sinfulness. And say, oh, Jesus, forgive me anyway. (laughs) No, that's not the way it works. If we truly love Jesus, our lives are going to change. Our attitudes are going to change. Our desires are going to change for his righteousness. I can remember a young man who came to me who was living a gay lifestyle. I mean, extremely bad, promiscuous. The New Jersey turnpike by our house had a spot where men, older men would get together with young men. That's where he would go and hang out. And God cleansed his heart. He came to know Christ. And yes, there are times that he says he battles with that because of the way he was raised in his family and how he was treated. But God's given him the victory and he's married and has been married for 35 years now to the same woman. What a marvelous thing that God did in his life and healed him. This talk today of being new creatures in Christ, that's what it's about. That God can change us within and make us new and make us whole. But you see, it comes like Jonathan Edwards says, coming to grips with God and his light and going deep within our souls and really asking the hard questions and wrestling with God to change us, to make us the person that he wants us to be. Not what I want to be, that's sin. Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to feel, God? I struggle with these feelings, but I want to do it your way. And that's what this young man did. And his life was changed. He became a new creation in Christ. And there was no self-deception. When he struggled, he called me and we talked him through it. Why? Because the light came into his life and changed him. You see, it's hard when we lie to ourselves. Lying is not a good thing. In fact, I was reading about Abraham Lincoln. Very good words. He says, when you used to say that if a man is going to be a liar, he had better have a good memory. <laughs> when a person uses up all his energies by pretending, he has nothing left for living and becomes a shallow and tasteless person. A person who pretends not only robs himself of reality, but keeps himself from growing. His true self is smothered under the false self and can never get out from under it. See, that's why Jesus came to forgive our sins and to cleanse us and to give us the light to go on and the power to overcome these things. I love Scott Peck, who was a psychiatrist who was not a Christian at the time when he wrote this book. He wrote a book called People of the Lie. And he worked in psychiatric hospitals as a doctor of psychiatry. 
And he said, you know one of the one things that a lot of the people dealt with that he dealt with? He said, they didn't have reality. So one of the problems was they became such liars that they couldn't differentiate after a while between what was the lie and what was the truth. And that it got to be such a confusion in their brains and the wires began to get crossways and short out. And they began to do dysfunctional, crazy behavior because they couldn't figure out the reality from the, 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 the falsehood. And they had to be locked up in psychiatric wards. And you see, that's what Jesus wants to do is unlock that and live in the reality of the truth of God. That is not confusing. There's no hidden agenda. It is the real deal. Because everyone who commits the guilty of lawlessness, I don't want to follow God's way. I don't want to do it his way. And what happens is we in America today and in our generation have not taken sin seriously. And there's so much confusion, so much dysfunction, so much disorder that we label it that, but it's really just the reaping of our sins and telling people that it's okay to do that, even though in past it was sin. Oh, that deviant behavior, oh yeah, you did that because this was going on here. No, it's sin, and it needs to be solved. And you see, that's why Christ came to the cross, because God took sin seriously. It was an affront to him. And whenever we sin, we're affronting God. We're saying the devil's more in control of our life than we are. Or than he is. That we want the devil's way. Rather than God's way. I want my selfish way. I want to hurt those people around me because they've hurt me. I don't want to have to work at it. I want to do whatever I want to do. And forget them. I got to take care of myself. It's all about me. And the Bible said, no. If you want to live a life of joy and happiness in eternity, it's about God. That's what it's about. Because look what it says. We have a litigator. We have a lawyer. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the goal. We know we can't be sinless, but we don't want to sin because we love our Lord and we want to share in his nature. And his nature is not for sin, but it's against sin and living a healthy, pure, loving life. And if anybody sins, we have this advocate, this attorney, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who God the Father sees everything that we have and all our motives and everything we have ever done. He knows what's going on in our hearts. But we have this one advocate that goes before the Father and says that I have taken my blood and poured it out to wash away their sin, to cover it over, Father, that you don't see it. So that they can be the person that you called them to be. And that they can go to heaven with you. 
yesterday and next week when I preach the message of the gospel. It's wonderful at a funeral home, funeral service, to just to say, this death thing doesn't hold these people back. They're in eternity with me today because they trusted me. And that the propitiation is what happened in the Old Testament times. When they were in the temple and they were behind the Holy of Holies and they had the, the Ark of the Covenant was there and inside the Ark was the law of God. And on top of the Ark it was covered and it had these seraphim or these angels. And the priest would go in once a year. In fact, last week was the, the, uh, um, the holiday that the Jews celebrate, uh, Yom Kippur. And it's the Day of Atonement. And what happens is the priest would sprinkle blood on the top of that, covering over the top of the ark where the law was which we break. And that God no longer sees us as our sin. That's what Jesus Christ did. And then not only has he covered over our sin, but then at the end of the service, they would go out and they would take what was called a scapegoat. And they would take this goat and they would pray over them the sins of the nation and then send them out in the wilderness to be killed so that their sins could be taken away. And what Jesus did on the cross, of course, he not only covered over our sins, but then he took them out of our lives and forgave us and gave us eternal life. And so here we have it. We have this advocate who works on our behalf to forgive us. And when we sin, we're insulting Christ's work. It suggests that we have a sinful nature. And what it does is it robs us of our assurance that we're going to heaven. Because you know Satan, he'll say, well, how could you do that? When you're a Christian. How could you have said that? And say that you're a Christian. And that's what Satan does. He continues to remind our acts. Remind us of a sinful thing that we... And you can say, no longer can you do that, Satan. Because I trust Jesus, my advocate, who washed and covered my sin and took it away. And I no longer have to pay for it. In fact, I'm going to heaven because Jesus paid the price for that sin. And I no longer have to deal with that. I no have to live under that burden and guilt. And that my sins are forgiven. See, one of the things that happens with us as Christians that really lays and hurts us, sometimes we still feel guilty that we have to make up for it. Once Jesus has taken that sin, it's over. And we're reminded of those sins so that we don't do them again. But we have an eternal joy within inside of us. But you know, guilt can do wonders for our heads and cripple us from following the Lord and destroy our relationship with God. I know two little boys, when they were younger, their mother said to them, now look boys, I don't want you wrestling in the living room. Because there's things here to break. And your dad and I are going out. And your sister's going to watch over you. Well, their car didn't even get out of the driveway. And we were wrestling. And the boys were wrestling. 
<laughs> I slipped there. <laughs> and the boys were wrestling in the parlor. And mom had this beautiful hurricane lamp that had not long a life. And one of the basically pillows that got slung missed the person but got the lamp. And this beautiful cylindrical part of the lamp, which was glass, broke. Well, you know what it's like when thieves all of a sudden become good friends? My brother and I became very good friends. I mean, the two boys became very good friends, and we tried to glue that baby together, and it didn't look good at all. And this girl would sing, well, I can buy you a new one and get it fixed for you tomorrow. Okay, 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 okay. we'll pay for it. <laughs> and that's what happened. But about two weeks, she said, but you're going to have to help me with the dishes and stuff. And about two days that lasted, and then we're saying, oh, come on, you're being too hard on us. And every time we said it, this little light of mine, oh, we had to help her. Well, we did. And <clears throat> two weeks later, my mother says, well, boys, tell me what happened to the hurricane lamp. She knew. She knew that very night when she walked in and looked at that sorry-looking glued lamp thing that was, we had broke it. And you see, my sister was playing the guilt puller with this little light of mine. Because whenever we were going to basically not do the work, she had to trigger well, God is good. And folks, don't let that guilt trigger. Don't let Satan push that button. Christ has forgiven you. It's like Augustine once said when two prostitutes approached him after he came to know Christ and they wanted him to come and play with them. They said, Augie, Augie. He said, Augie's dead, and Augustine is alive. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for your insights on life. Oh, Jesus, help us to truly do what is your will and what is right in your eyes. Help us to love you with all our hearts. Help us to understand your forgiveness. But help us not to use it as a way to get away with sin. But truly live in the light. And use your power to overcome us. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us today and for your forgiveness. And giving us the power to overcome sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close with our benediction and then we'll sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.